Hello, this is Father Neil here, and welcome to the July 20th episode of the podcast, Catechism with Father Neil. Today we look at numbers 1581 through 1589 of the Catechism. 7. The Effects of the Sacrament of Holy Orders The Indelible Character 1581 This sacrament configures the recipient to Christ by a special grace of the Holy Spirit, so that he may serve as Christ's instrument for his church. By ordination, one is enabled to act as a representative of Christ, head of the church, in his triple office of priest, prophet and king. 1582. As in the case of baptism and confirmation, this share in Christ's office is granted once for all. The sacrament of holy orders, like the other two, confers an indelible spiritual character and cannot be repeated or conferred temporarily. 1583. It is true that someone validly ordained can, for grave reasons, be discharged from the obligations and functions linked to ordination, or can be forbidden to exercise them, but he cannot become a layman again in the strict sense, because the character imprinted by ordination is forever. The vocation and mission received... On the day of his ordination, mark him permanently. 1584. Since it is ultimately Christ who acts and effects salvation through the ordained minister, the unworthiness of the latter does not prevent Christ from acting. St. Augustine states this forcefully. As for the proud minister, he is to be ranked with the devil. Christ's gift is not thereby profaned. What flows through him keeps its purity and what what passes through him remains clear and reaches the fertile earth. The spiritual power of the sacrament is indeed comparable to light. Those to be enlightened receive it in its purity, and if it should pass through defiled beings, it is not itself defiled. The Grace of the Holy Spirit, 1585. The Grace of the Holy Spirit, proper to the sacrament, is configuration to Christ as priest, teacher and pastor, for whom, of whom the ordained is made a minister. 1586. For the bishop, this is first of all a grace of strength, the governing spirit, prayer of Episcopal consecration in the Latin rite, the gift, the grace to guide and defend his church with strength and prudence as a father and pastor, with gratuitous love for all and a preferential love for the poor, the sick and the needing. This grace impels him to proclaim the gospel to all, to be the model for his flock, to go before it on the way of sanctification by identifying himself in the Eucharist with Christ the priest and victim, not fearing to give his life for his sheep. Father, you know all hearts. You have chosen your servant for the office of bishop. May he be a shepherd of your holy flock and a high priest blameless in your sight ministering to you night and day. May he always gain a blessing for your favour and offer your gifts, the gifts of your holy church. Through the Spirit who gives the grace of high priesthood, grant him the power to forgive sins as you have commanded, to assign ministers as you have decreed, and to loose from every bond by the authority which you gave to your apostles. May he be pleasing to you by his gentleness and purity of heart, 
presenting a fragrant offering to you through Jesus Christ, your Son. 1587. The spiritual gift conferred by presbyteral ordination is expressed by this prayer of the Byzantine rite. The bishop, while laying on his hand, says, among other things, Lord, fill with the gift of your Holy Spirit him whom you have deigned to raise to the rank of the priesthood, that he may be worthy to stand without reproach before your altar, to proclaim the gospel of your kingdom, to fulfil the ministry of your word of truth, to offer you spiritual gifts and sacrifices, to renew your people by the path of rebirth, so that he may go out to meet our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, your only Son, on the day of his second coming, and may receive from your vast goodness the recompense of for, for a faithful administration of his order. 1588. With regard to deacons, strengthened by sacramental grace, they are de dedicated to the people of God in conjunction with the bishop and his body of priests in the service, diaconia of the liturgy and the gospel and of works of charity. 1589. Before the grandeur of the priestly grace and office, the holy doctors felt an urgent call to conversion in order to confirm their whole lives to him whose sacrament had made them ministers. Thus St. Gregory Nazianzus, as a very young priest, exclaimed, We must begin by purifying ourselves before purifying others. We must be instructed to be able to instruct, become light to illuminate, draw close to God to bring him close to others, be sanctified to sanctify, lead by the hand and counsel prudently. I know whose ministers we are, where we find ourselves, and to where we strive. I know God's greatness and man's weakness, but also his potential. Who then is the priest? He is, the defender of truth, who stands with angels, gives glory with archangels, causes sacrifices to rise to the altar on high, shares Christ's priesthood, refashions creation, restores it in God's image, recreates it for the world on high, and even greater is divinized and divinizes. And the holy curé of ours, the priest continues the work of redemption on earth. If we really understood the priest on earth, we would die not of fright but of love. The priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus. Okay, this finishes the um, the section on holy orders. Again, it's a beautiful section. Um, oftentimes, we we confuse priesthood with power. That there are different, um, there is a different level of authority given in the priesthood, but it's not to do with human power. We can't look at things through human eyes, through Marxist eyes. Marxism has given us this terrible um, tendency to look at everything as if it was a power struggle. The church isn't a power struggle. The church will not work if the priests are fighting with the bishops, if the bishops are fighting with the laity, if the, if the deacons are fighting with I don't know who. No, the church works as communion. And in this communion, we need the sacrament of orders. We need bishops, we need priests, we need deacons. But they work as servants. Yes, they have a responsibility. You know, they have a responsibility. And this can't be taken by, from them. 
but ultimately they're servants. You know, in a sense, if you walk into a bar and you ask for a, a pint of Guinness, you can't pour it yourself. The barman pours it. That's his job. That's his responsibility. But you're the guest. You're the paying customer. In a sense, you're more important than him. He's serving you. And uh, this is kind of a bit like what the priesthood is like. Again, it's a bad analogy, but it's something to, that maybe can help us to understand. And that we're invited into this sacrament that can help all of us draw closer to the heart of Christ, this love in the heart of Christ. This is what the priesthood is about. Bringing for the church. The priesthood has this mission of helping all Christians to be draw closer to the love of Christ in the heart of the church. And this is what is important. Not all the things we fight about. Not all the things that we get angry about. These are not as important. Many times they can be distractions from what is important. What is important is that we have access to the sacraments. That we have access especially to the Eucharist. And that by having access to the Eucharist we can find this love. That we can also find the forgiveness of sins in the sacrament of confession. That this is what really is being offered to every member of the church and not to see things in worldly eyes of power struggle, but to see that Christ offers each one of us his Holy Spirit. He offers each one of us the possibility to participate at the Eucharist. He offers each one of us the possibility of sacramental absolution and that this really is what the, the, the sacrament is about. It's about accomplishing this in the church. Then to allow each member of the church, as we saw before, each baptized member of the church, then to go out and in their baptismal priesthood to bring Christ to the whole world, to bring Christ to those around us, having first found him ourselves inside the church. So anyway, so, uh, so we continue. This is the end of the section, so we have the in brief. 1590, St. Paul said to his disciple Timothy, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God which is within you through the laying on of my hands. If anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. To Titus he said, This is why I left you in Crete, that you amend what was defective and appoint presbyters in every town as I directed you. 1591, the whole church is a priestly people. Through baptism all the faithful share in the priesthood of Christ. The participation is called the common priesthood of the faithful. Based on the common priesthood and ordered to its service, there exists another participation in the mission of Christ, the ministry conferred by the sacrament of holy orders, where the task to serve in the name and in the person of Christ, the head, in the midst of the community. The ministerial priesthood differs in essence from the common priesthood of the faithful because it confers a sacred power for the service of all the faithful. The ordained ministers ex exercise their service for the people of God by teaching, munus docendi, divine worship, munus liturgicum, and pastoral governance, munus virgendi. 1593. Since the beginning, the ordained ministry has been conferred and exercised in three degrees, that of bishops, that of presbyters, and that of deacons. These, the ministries 
conferred by ordination, are irreplaceable for the organic structure of the Church. Without the bishop, presbyters and deacons, one cannot speak of the Church. 1594. The bishop receives the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders, which integrates him into the Episcopal College and makes him the visible head of the particular church entrusted to him. As successors of the apostles and members of the college, the bishops share in the apostolic responsibility and mission of the whole church under the authority of the Pope, the successor of St. Peter. 1595. Priests are united with the bishops in sacerdotal dignity and at the same time depend on them in the exercise of their pastoral functions. They are called to be the bishop's prudent co-workers. They form around their bishop the presbyterium, which bears responsibility with him for the particular church. They receive from the bishop the charge of a parish community to or a determinate ecclesial office. 1596. Deacons are ministers ordained for the task of service of the church. They do not receive the ministerial priesthood, but ordination confers on them important functions in the ministry of the word, divine worship, pastoral governance and the service of charity, tasks which they must carry out under the pastoral authority of their bishop. 1597. The sacrament of holy orders is conferred by the laying on of hands, followed by a solemn prayer of consecration, asking God to grant the ordinand the graces of the Holy Spirit required for his ministry. Ordination imprints an indelible sacramental character. 1598. The Church confers the Sacrament of Holy Orders only on baptised men, whose suitability for the exercise of the ministry has been duly recognised. Church authority alone has the responsibility and right to call someone to receive the Sacrament of Holy Orders. 1599. In the Latin Church, the Sacrament of Holy Orders for the Presbyterate is normally conferred only on candidates who are ready to embrace celibacy freely and who publicly manifest their intention of staying celibate for the love of God's kingdom and the service of men. 1600. It is bishops who confer the Sacrament of Holy Orders in the three degrees. Okay, very well. So we finish here. And tomorrow we'll be looking at 1601 through 1608. God bless.